Good morning. I'm so excited for September. I know you guys are too. Because September, we are going to start our congregational reading plan together. We're going to read God's word together, but separately. And then from that text that we will be reading as many times as we can, and as, and as many times as we determine to read that text throughout the week, that will be the very text that we will be dealing with when we come back together on Sunday mornings. And what we're hoping to, uh, to create and what we are hoping to, um, to, to establish is a sense of community around God's word as we study and we grow and we edify and we preach and we teach and we exhort around that passage together. And I couldn't be more excited. This idea was not my own. This idea was actually purported in the book um, Halley's Bible Handbook by none other than H.H. Halley. Now I have done a little bit of research as to this aforementioned H.H. Halley is. And he seems to be a man, a a Bible teacher and preacher and exhorter of like faith and practice, even as are we. And uh, when you are a pastor, I have discovered this since I took the position. I've told you there are two things that people will do. Sometimes they will buy you lunch and sometimes they will bring you books. That's pretty much what I have learned is that you will have lunch or books, both of which are greatly appreciated. Um, so that is what you'll get, uh, and, and, and I found this book, and I started reading through it, and it is really just a commentary, a brief commentary, not an exhaustive resource, which is nice, because sometimes you have an entire wall of commentaries, and it's nice to just kind of have a little book with some faithful teaching and, uh, and, and exposition about God's word uh, for each book of the Bible. Wonderful, wonderful resource, but at the beginning of this book, it said the most important page of this book, the most important idea is found on page 184. I was like, that's a strange location to leave it, but I will bite. And I turned, as needless to say, to uh, page, I'm sorry, 814. See, I already misquoted myself. 814. Good thing it was labeled for me. Good thing I had the marker in. And I will read it to you. It says right there, it says, the most important thing in this book, hmm, saves us some time, uh, is this simple suggestion that each church have a congregational plan of reading of Bible reading and that the pastor's sermon be from the part of the Bible read the past week thus connecting the pastor's preaching with the people's Bible reading isn't that interesting I I didn't come up with this idea I just read a book look and it even showed me where the most important idea was saved me some time It goes on to say, listen to this, I felt very convicted and kind of gut-punched, and maybe you will too. We'll recover together. We'll catch our breath together. It says, with all our facilities for propagating Christian truth, our well-organized churches and Bible schools, our seminaries, our highly trained ministers and church leaders, with the last word in up-to-date religious education methods and endless an endless amount of Christian literature and an ever-increasing number of meetings and organizations where we talk and teach and preach in the name of the Bible, even quoting chapter and verse. Listen, yet, yet. The great body of our church members treat the Bible as if it were a mere side issue in their lives. Whoa. Whoa. Gotta take a breath. 
You know, and, and it's obviously a side issue in my life. I can prove it by my actions, by my brokenness, by, uh, by, by the sin that easily comes into my life. I can prove that the Bible is a mere side issue. Um, actually, you, you could prove it about yourself. You can kind of sometimes see it in our, our modern age of where we post things. We'll post the Bible verse. But you can tell that that Bible verse is a mere side issue in your life based on all the other garbage that you're posting. See, the Bible, if we let it, it will become naturally, because of my sin nature and because of yours, it will become a side issue in our lives. Naturally. We don't have to work at it being a side issue. It will end up there. And it needs to be at the forefront of our hearts and minds constantly. So we're going to embark on this journey together. And I could not be more excited. So the, the, the last two weeks of August, I believe that we will talk uh, about um, the role of reading the Bible. The role that actual reading and, and, and learning and seeking to learn from and, and applying the Bible, we will learn why we do that. Well, what is the actual role of reading? And then next week, I would like to talk about the Holy Spirit who lives in those of us who, uh, who believe in Christ as our Savior. The role of the Holy Spirit in actually reading the Bible. How the Holy Spirit comes along and helps us while we read. But this week, we will look at this question. Why do we read, study, and attempt to learn from the Bible? And the easy answer is, well, because we're supposed to. Oh, okay, thank you. Yes, uh, we, we, we've grown up in church. We understand that reading the Bible is definitely at least half of the applications of every single sermon that we've ever heard. What is the takeaway? you got to read your Bible more. We understand that. But let's actually look, other than just the rote rule that you have to read it, let's look at why. We're going to look at why today. And um, today, while we, are, while we are going, we're going to look at wrong reasons not to read the Bible. We're going to look at some wrong reasons not to read the Bible. There's a lot of wrong reasons not to read the Bible. We'll be looking at one specific one. Then we're going to look at the right reasons to read the Bible. Once again, there's a lot of right reasons to read the Bible. We'll be focusing in on one of those reasons today. And then finally, we will look at the ultimate reason to read the Bible. So we'll look at a wrong reason to not read. We'll look at a right reason to read. And we will look at the ultimate reason to always read the Bible. And if you're with me, say, come on. All right, great. When I went to college, um, my dad, here's the thing about my dad. He's sitting here. Hi, dad. He got glasses, looking, looking stellar. Um, my dad, long before dad jokes and dad figures, dad bods, they call them, were popular, my dad wrote the book on both of those, okay? He's always been a healthy shape, and he has told jokes that only are funny to him as, as for as long as I remember. So long before dad bod and dad jokes were popular, my dad wrote the book on it. I was leaving to college, like not just in the car, like actually walking into the, 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 the educational facility, and my dad yells this behind me, Fraser, remember, the more you learn, the more you know. The more you know, the more you forget. The more you forget, the less you know. So why bother to learn? <laughs> That's what he yells after me. You would think there would be some encouragement to do my best. But no, he goes the complete opposite and just tells, you know, he's, and I'm like, you realize you're paying for this, right? <laughs> you know? He always said, the more you learn, the more you know, the more you know, the more you forget, the more you forget, the less you know, so why bother to learn? Do you know who actually said that, Dad? Do you know? It's an unlikely source. 
It's actually the, the, the brilliant scientist, Stephen Hawking, recognized as one of the most, um, most published and prolific and, and smartest scientists since Albert Einstein. You didn't know that. Well, aren't you glad you came to church today? Um, so, yes, Stephen Hawking said that. So I think it probably said with a little bit tongue-in-cheek, a little bit sarcastic, that coming from one of the smartest people of our time. But really, he was kind of caught in an ecclesiastical dilemma. We realized that this idea didn't originate with even the brilliant Stephen Hawking. This is actually something that we can find in the Ecclesiastes, where basically the sad King Solomon says, you know, the more you know, the, the, the more you learn, the more you know, the more you know, the more you forget, the more you forget, the less you learn. So why bother to learn? You know it's in scripture, right? Let's look at it. Let's look. Now, I think we drew the wrong conclusion with it, but let's look at Ecclesiastes 1, 16 through 18. It says, I said to myself, this is what the sad King Solomon writes. He said, I said to myself, look, I have amassed wisdom far beyond all those who were over Jerusalem before me, and my mind has thoroughly grasped wisdom and knowledge. I applied my mind to know wisdom and knowledge, madness and folly. I learned that this, too, is a pursuit of the wind, for with much wisdom is much sorrow, and knowledge increase, as knowledge increases, grief increases. Solomon is kind of saying, man, the more you, the more you learn, the more you know, the more you know, the more you forget, the more you forget, the less you know, so why bother to learn? But can I tell you what maybe Solomon was dealing with here? The knowledge of this world. And yet so often we kind of approach scripture and we say, man, the more I know, that we, we, we throw ourselves upon the grace that we understand Christ has for us. And we treat scripture as a mere side issue in our lives because of this kind of lame excuse of the more I know, the more I forget. So why bother to learn? My friends, never use, a, never use scripture to justify the not reading of scripture because of your finite knowledge. He is talking about things of this world. And this book reveals things about God. It's not a good reason. That's the wrong reason not to read. But I see it so, I see it so often. I find myself tempted to use that reasoning myself. We look at what Paul says about the finite wisdom of men as we consider God. In Romans uh, 1, 16, I'm sorry, Romans 11, verses uh, 33. It says, oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and untraceable are his ways. But we can't draw the wrong conclusion by that verse and say, we'll never understand, so we don't need to seek to learn anything. We are supposed to understand that there are some parts of God that we will never grasp. But we will search with everything we have to understand. God says this about himself. God says that our finite wisdom, he, he says that, that his nature flies in the face of our nature. He talks about it in... Um, Isaiah, and, and, and chapter 55, it's, yes, he says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, and your ways are not my ways. This is the Lord's declaration, for as heaven is higher than earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. But never use these verses to excuse you from the obligation that is yours to learn and to read and to study God's word. Because we can use our finite wisdom and knowledge as just, a, well, 
I'll never fully understand. But my friend, there is so much for us to grasp in the pages of his word. Our finite wisdom and knowledge is a real deal. And seeking after the knowledge of this world will never satisfy us. But seeking the wisdom of God in the pages of his word will always satisfy. So that's a, our finite wisdom and knowledge is not a good reason not to read. I'd like to draw your attention to one of the good reasons that we should read the word of God. And I would invite you to join me in Psalm chapter 1. Psalm chapter 1 is right in the middle of your Bible. Chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Psalm chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. And we will find one of the right reasons to read the word of God. If you're at Psalm 1, 1 through 3, say let's go. All right, that's most of us. The rest of us will catch up. It says, how happy is the man who does not follow the advice of the wicked or take the path of sinners or join a group of mockers. Instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction. And he meditates on it day and night. He is like a tree planted beside streams of water that bears its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. I'd like to point out that the lamentable position and the lamentable lifestyle of the person talked about in verse 1 is completely different than what we should aspire to find in the nature and the character of the person described in verse 3. Don't we see the difference? In verse 1, there is something that is very lamentable and sad. In verse 3, we see exactly what we would, should, would and should aspire to be. May I point out what the difference is? It's verse 2. As we back to verse 2, look at the difference. This is the difference that the psalmist writes about. He says, instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction. And he meditates on it when? Day and night. I don't want to jump into James too early, but James writes about that we are to be here, not just hearers of the word, but what? Yes, hearers, and we could almost by application and by way of, of extrapolation, we could see that that's not just hearers, it might be readers of the word, right? Hearers and readers, that's not where the money is. Where the life change is and when we become doers. And that's what the psalmist is talking about in verse 2. He says he delights in the Lord's instruction. It is air to his lungs, it is water, it is food to him, it is sustaining in so much, so much so that he will meditate on it day and night. He is not just a reader or a hearer. He's a doer of the word. And it demonstrates it in the difference between the lamentable person in verse 1 and the person that we should aspire to be in verse 3. The difference is the word of God. What does this tell us about the word? It has the power to change us. And we've become so accustomed to it, and it's sat on our nightstand so long, and we've posted the verse next to the cup of coffee on Instagram so often that we've realized it's just become a side issue. We've forgotten as it sits on our nightstand that it has the power to change us. It's not just there to take up space. It's not just that inconvenient thing that we know we should do more of. 
It is the difference between Psalm 1 verse 1 and Psalm 1 verse 3. The difference is the word. And it has the power to even change our nature. Because you and I have a sin nature. And we will never be fully free from it until we are with Christ. And I'm not here to tell you you will. But this book has the power to rewrite some of that DNA. This, ha- this book has the power to turn you in a different direction. It has the power to alter your very nature. I am reading um, The Red Badge of Courage by Stephen Crane. Um, I uh, missed that in school, possibly because my dad told me, you know, the more you learn, the more. Yeah, I, that might have been the reason I missed. I didn't read The Red Badge of Courage in school. I found it on my nightstand. I was like, I'm trying to be smarter. So I'm, so I'm, reading, I'm reading The Red Badge of Courage. And uh, it was an interesting thing. that The Red Badge of Courage is about this soldier. Like the first five chapters. I wish they could have condensed it into maybe one chapter. But the first five chapters, the youth, who is this Union soldier, is trying to decide if it will be his nature to fight or his nature to flee. And he goes kind of, he, he's kind of getting himself, uh, he's kind of sabotaging himself mentally because he doesn't know what his action will be when the battle starts. The battle starts and they are, they are, they are routing the enemy and he fights bravely. But then another onslaught of the enemy comes and he sees, he sees his line as certainly broken, certainly defeated. And he does what is his nature. He runs only to find out later that his side won the victory. He ran from a fight that he was destined to win. And as he's walking through, once again, about three or four chapters, while he's walking through thinking about all of this, he sees a squirrel out in the, just kind of running around the battlefield after the smoke clears. And he throws a rock at the squirrel. And the squirrel runs away. And he says, see, it is a completely natural thing for me to run at the sign of danger. And I sat there thinking about that. This is why it takes me long to read books. I sit there thinking about it for so long. And I realized that he followed the nature of the squirrel, which caused him to run. But he should have embraced the nature of a soldier that called him to stay. The scriptures can rewrite a piece of your nature. And they will take you from the lamentable person who walks, in the, who sits in the seeds of scorners, who, who is a mocker, who is doing vile things. It will take you from the, from the nature that so easily comes upon you. And it will take you to the nature that is so difficult. The difference is Psalm 1 and verse 2. And it's the word of God. And it's powerful. And it can change you. Even to the point of changing and reversing pieces of your sin nature. My daughter, I sat at the breakfast table with all my kids, and I brought up this question. I, I don't know why. I ask a lot of questions around the breakfast table. I said, who's going to get married first? And Kenzie says, ooh. Kenzie's six. She says, oh, me. I said, why? She said, because I love boys. <laughs> and I immediately threw up. <sighs> and I said, uh, after I was done throwing up, I came and I said, what, um, what are the names of these boys? Who do you like specifically? Tell me what they look like. What are their ages? I need to know about these boys. And she says, all boys. I was like, oh, great, all boys. Kill all boys. Just 
just for the sake of it. And, yeah, and, and she says, no, actually not all boys. Oh, not all boys. Well, what are the boys? Which specific boys? She said, boys who love Jesus. She said, I just want boys who love Jesus. I said, well, maybe we can narrow it down to one. That would be helpful. Jesus, as revealed in his word, changes our nature. He has the power to change, even in a way that a six-year-old girl dreaming of meeting her prince can see a difference. And when we won't see a difference is when this book is a mere side issue in our lives. And you know, I think, I think that's right where the enemy wants it. Sometimes we think the enemy wants me to burn my Bible. The enemy wants me to, to refute it and say it's not and, 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 throw it in, and, and throw it in the garbage. That's what the enemy wants you to do. No, I think the enemy might be perfectly content to keep it as a side issue in your life. Something that you do that makes you feel justified but doesn't really change you. I think that's right where the enemy wants it. I think he whispers, keep it right by your bed where it's not doing much. That's right where he wants it. And we're playing into his hand when we treat this book like it's a mere side issue in our lives. Um, I want to take you very quickly. We will end here next week too. I want to take you to the ultimate reason. The ultimate reason to read the Bible. The ultimate reason. Now you're like, ah, I'd like a different reason. Okay, you can come and talk about your ultimate reason. This is my ultimate reason for reading the Bible. It's found in 2 Timothy um, 3 and verse 15. This is Paul talking to the young pastor Timothy. And he says, and you know that from childhood you have known the sacred scriptures which are able to give you wisdom for what? Salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. You know the most beautiful part about this book? It preaches and it teaches of Jesus. It shows me who my Savior is. And if I truly believe that my Savior is who my Savior says he is, then I cannot take the number one way that he chooses to reveal himself and make it a side issue in my life. Because I haven't truly been changed by my Savior if that's the case. You know what C.S. Lewis says about Scripture? What does he say? He says, we come to Scripture not to learn a subject, but to steep ourselves in a person. When we open the pages of God's word, we jump into a comprehensive ocean of who God is, and we blissfully drown there in who he has revealed himself to be. Dive into Jesus. If you would know your Savior, read his word. If you would be changed by what he's done, read his word. Because what tragically so many miss is when they say, man, the more I, the more I learn, the more I know, the more I know, the more I forget, the more I forget, the less I know, so why bother to learn? If that's how we treat God's word, we will not know Jesus. Isn't there a reason that the first time someone says, I need to know Christ, it happened here on a Wednesday night a few weeks ago, is there not a reason that I need to know Christ, what do we do? We take them to the word. 
Because the word is where truth is. The word is where we are changed. The word proves that you're a sinner in need of Jesus. This tells us about Jesus. And we should never let it be a side issue in our lives. Um, our, our worship team can come. I might get you guys out of here early. Good deal. More time to read the word. But our worship team can come. And as they're coming, I would love for everyone in this room to bow their heads and close their eyes. It's not what you think. Everyone in this room to bow your heads and close your eyes. And while, you're bowed, while your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, I want you to ask, answer this question. In the month of September, will you join this community and this church in reading the word of God together through the book of James as many times as you are able that week? If that is you, would you raise your hand right now? You commit to read the word of God. Is there anyone else? I commit to read the word of God with my church. Please keep your hand up. Open your eyes and look around the room. God wants to do something incredible in this place. If that many of his followers will read the word of God together and be authentically changed by it. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for its urgency. Thank you that it teaches us of Christ. Father, I ask that even in these moments you would reaffirm exactly what you want us to do and how you want us to respond. Father, I tear down any lie of the enemy that keeps your word as being a mere side issue in our lives. May it guide us and may it change us. In Jesus' name, amen.